always, everything's relative with Eve Sturgis. I'm Eve Sturgis. This is a podcast where I talk about DNA discoveries and all the way that people are affected by results they did not expect. Today, I talk with Brad, who I actually became acquainted with through Severance Magazine, um, which I've mentioned a few times before, but if um, this is the first time hearing about it, definitely look into it. Severance Magazine is an online publication. It services our pop, um, like our population. It's another place for people with unexpected results to find support, find essays, articles, uh, all the things that you might connect to if you're looking for more about the NPE or MPE community. Um, haven't probably done this in a couple episodes, so let's talk about NPE means non-paternal event or non-paternity experience, I think. Um, on MPE, M as in Mary, stands for misattributed parental experience. So there's lots of letters you have to know about uh, if you're hanging out with us, and those are two of the most important. So Brad, anyway, wrote an article called Why Men Don't Want to Talk About It, and we corresponded a bit about that. Um, and so my participation notwithstanding, it's a really great article that explores uh, the big disparity between the amount of men and women in the support groups. I don't know if you've no- you've noticed, but I have noticed. Uh, so I was excited when Brad contacted me about being on the podcast because like the support groups, I need more men. Brad is what we call an LDA. Speaking of letters, LDA stands for Late Discovery Adoptee. So he's going to talk about that kind of NPE experience and DNA discovery. Um, I've said before that these things can reveal all sorts of family dynamics. It's not just that a dad may not be the bio dad. It could be both parents. Brad is here to talk about it. So I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to roll the tape. I'll wrap it up at the end with a few thoughts. uh, And then we can all go on with our day, knowing a little bit more about the complexity of uh, what DNA tests are revealing to people from all walks of life. Okay? Okay, great. This is Everything's Relative. I'm Eve Sturgis. Thanks. I've got you on Zoom. Brad! Hello! Hello! It's so great to get to meet you. Good to meet you, finally. Tell me that we, yeah, we've been corresponding for a while. Yep. We know each other, or I feel like I know you. Um, A little bit, but uh, this is our first time getting to see each other face-to-face. Yep. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Hanging in there. Yeah, thanks for giving me your Saturday night. You bet. I appreciate it. I really do. Uh, cool. And um, before I forget, because I don't want to, I I uh, I loved the piece you wrote for Severance Magazine. Oh, cool. Which one of them did you read? Uh, I read the one about men not being. Okay. Um, yeah, the men, why there aren't as many men in the support groups, and I um, so I appreciated getting to ask, invited to participate, but um, more importantly, it, it uh, ended up being a really cool piece. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you helping me with it. Yeah, are you? Um, are you? Have you been a writer? Are you? Do you can a writer by trade? You know, by trade or practice? Or no, hobby? I've been a cop by trade for twenty eight years, twenty seven years. Uh huh. So you just decided you decided to make a little pivot. I decided I liked writing, so yeah. That, yeah. that kind of came as one of the many surprises of all of this. That I was like. I'll write something and see if I enjoy it. And I did. And now I've just kind of been, I mean, I still work as a cop every day, but I like that. So I write more. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That sounds like. Totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of totally unexpected, <laughs> uh, 
How do you like to tell your story? It really doesn't matter. It gets pretty twisty and turny. I think if you've, I don't know if you've listened to any of the other ones I've done. I didn't because I want, I like coming in, I like coming in cold or coming in okay. blind, however. Um, so yeah. So what, um, yeah. So what, what happens if you're talking about it with friends over beer or whatever? Okay. Yeah. I mean, we can do that. And then when I throw you for a loop or you're like, wait, what? Just stop me and tell me because that happens a lot. Okay, so my wife and I did Ancestry DNA probably five or six years ago. That was going to be our, in air quotes, fun Christmas. So we did, we did Ancestry DNA. Not, no suspicions, no, oh, we think something's going on here. My parents were never big about talking about our genealogical history back past my grandparents, so... I just really didn't have a clue. My wife did. I didn't. So we just thought it'd be fun. So we did that in like 20. Uh, Are you born and raised in Texas? Yep. Always in Texas. And you just, you and your wife thought that, that learning more about your heritage sounded interesting and fun. Yes. So my dad was an airline pilot and they flew all over the world. And I'd always be like, Hey, if you're in Europe, see if you can find our family crest or anything like that. And it was always kind of a, Ah, nobody cares about that. And I was like, well, I do. That's why I keep asking for it. But they never did it. So I finally just stopped asking. So when the ancestry test came out, we, my wife and I thought, cool, we'll do that for Christmas. Right. And that would be a lot of fun. Um, so we did it like, I think it was 2016. And I tell everybody that I talk to, I feel kind of dumb and naive. The test came back. I, if you've done ancestry, you pop up in your map and you can see kind of where you came from and all that good stuff. And I looked at that and I was like, okay, so I'm English, a little bit Irish, a little bit Scottish. Cool. And I closed it. Mm -hmm. I never, ever went back. Um, so I didn't even look at the tab that said relation DNA matches or anything. I just skipped it. So my wife stayed on it doing some more genealogy stuff. And I looked at my map and that was, I was kind of done with it. So was the map interesting to you? I mean, even if it wasn't surprises, was it? It was interesting because nobody ever told me anything. Yes. Right. I mean, it, it was fascinating. Just I was going into it completely blind. So it wasn't anything that I saw that went me. Like my wife knows that she's got a strong Czech background. So if she'd have seen something that was outside of that, that would have seemed weird for her. For me, I didn't know because nobody talked about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was just like more information for yourself and interesting what you've been asking all your life. So. Yeah, just kind of fun. Okay. There was a way to do it. It was like, okay, cool. We'll do that. So fast forward to 2019 and my wife was still on there doing stuff. I'd never really gotten back on there. And one day she gets a message from a lady that says, hey, this BE person, which is me mm -hmm. on your account, shows to be a close relationship to me. And I'm just trying to figure out how. So my wife asked me, I had never really been good with keeping up with aunts, uncles. I just, we were never really close. So my wife asked me, I was like, I don't have a clue who that is, but that doesn't mean anything other than I don't know who it is. Right. Right. So she said, okay, well, I'll, I'll talk to her. So I was like, that's cool. So they started messaging back and forth on Facebook and talking on ancestry a little bit, but the ancestry messenger thing's kind of weird. So just easier talking on Facebook. So they talked for quite a while and 
the lady, I've gone back and read all the messages now, and it makes so much more sense where she was headed with all this. We just didn't know. So you don't know what you can't see. Well, that and like we, my wife and I still laugh. I look at the message now and when you get a message from somebody, you can click on a button and see the relationship. <laughs> we didn't do that. We didn't do anything. We're like, no, I don't really know you. Mm-hmm. So the, the only thing that threw a kind of wrench in that, in her contacting us was we had found out that we still don't know for sure, but we're fairly certain that the my mom that raised me is adopted. We're not 100% for sure. Her mom told her that she adopted her and died shortly thereafter that. And that's so far back that we've, my mom's never had an interest in diving off into it. So we just really don't have any way to know. Hmm. So this lady was about the same age and we immediately thought, oh, that's probably a half sister, full sister, cousin, somebody related to my mom. So we told her that and she kind of disappeared again. So she, I guess she went off to research that to see if that was the case. And we didn't hear back from her until the day before St. Patrick's Day in 2019. And I remember those days. That, that one is very stuck in my head, yes. Um, so my wife and I were actually out on a date, and she started getting messages from this lady again. She said, hey, this lady's messaging me again, and she said that she has she's done all her research, and there's no way she's related to your mom. And I was like, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm at a loss. I don't know what to tell her. I'm still not smart enough to have ever clicked on show me who this person is. So I told my wife, I was like, I, I don't know what else to tell her. So tell her we're sorry. She said, well, so they, they were, we were sitting there at lunch talking and they're messaging back and forth. And the lady finally, I guess, decided it was time to spill the beans and said, well, let, let me tell you what I think and see how this sounds. And we're like, okay. Said, so my sister had a baby boy born on July 8th, 1970 in Dallas, which is my birthday. And I think that's this BE person on your account because he was given up for adoption at birth. And we sat there at lunch and I went, well, I mean, no, that that's not it. That does not track the narrative that I know. About yeah, that, that doesn't work at all for me. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, ask her what hospital she thinks this happens at. I've got my birth certificate at home. I can look at it. And we'll at least get her on the right track. So I'm not mad at her. She's just confused. Mm-hmm. So my wife asked her and she said she couldn't really remember, but she'd do some research. And so we wrapped up lunch, came back home. My in-laws came over and funny enough, because we've been talking about ancestry, my in-laws and my wife end up on the couch playing with the family tree. And I go off in the other room, get the little fire safe out, pull out my birth certificate and start looking at everything. Mm -hmm. And I get my birth certificate and all of a sudden there seem to be problems because my birth certificate doesn't have a hospital I was born in. It doesn't have an address. It just has a dash through it. And I was like, well, that's weird. So I was like, you know, so then I got my wife's out because we were both born in 1970 in Dallas. So they should look somewhat close Mm -hmm. and they couldn't look any more different. So my wife's looks like a typed out document. It's got her dad's signature on it. The raised seal and all that are there. And is it, it the seal of the city? Is that what we usually have on it? Is it county, it's Dallas County. Okay, county, yeah. I mean, yeah. So it has the Dallas County seal on it and all that. Mine, on the other hand, if you remember back to old school and library, the microfiche machine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mine looked like a bad copy off a microfiche machine. And it was stamped and sealed out of Travis County in Austin, which is the state capital here. So I was like, well, that's weird. We were both, I know we were both born in Dallas. 
But so then I start looking at the differences between hers and mine. Mine, like I said, looked like weird microfish. Hers looked like a document that somebody had typed in. A real deal. Yeah. Hers had the hospital she was born in. Mine had a dash dashing out. I mean, just had nothing where the hospital I was born in. And then where usually the father signs the birth certificate, it's called like the informant or something. Her dad's signature is there. My dad's name is just typed in. So there's no signatures on it. It's just, it's, they're totally different. And when do you think the last time was you had ever looked at your birth certificate? Gosh, probably when this happened, probably 22, 23 years ago. Yeah. I, I mean, I pulled it out was for getting a job and right. you need it for a job or like a passport. Like there's, yep. and you still aren't, you generally, there aren't any questions that, that, that ask you to look at it with detail. Just, you have to always like show it. Yeah. You, you show it. And I mean, really it's been, I've probably had that in my possession 30 ish years. So it just, that's always my, been my birth certificate. I didn't ever think it, look at it and then start putting it next to another one and going, well, these don't look the same. That's not right. So I just always assumed it was that, that was that. So my in-laws finally left and I went into my wife and was like, okay, so some things are bothering me. She's like, okay, well, tell me. So I hand her our two bursters. I was like, these couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that is kind of weird. I said, yeah, that's kind of weird. And here's some other things that are bothering me. Cause while she was talking to her parents, I was sitting in the other room quietly trying not to freak out and panic everybody. So I was, you know, running through all these things in my head of still thinking this lady's not right. She's confused, but we'll get it all figured out. So when I was in there thinking, what I realized was my mom has told every embarrassing story about me to my wife that you can imagine. Anything I didn't want told has been told. Mm-hmm. So I said, so we're sitting there talking. I was like, tell me anything you know about my mom being pregnant with me or giving birth to me. Cause we've had three kids now. My mom's been there for all three of them. You would have thought stories swapped somewhere. And my wife sat there and she says, she's never told us any stories. Like that's, that's true. I've never heard no birth stories, no guilt trip of, I was in a labor in labor with you for this long. And this is how you treat me. Right. Right. So I was like, so that, that kind of bothers me. And she's like, yeah, that, that is weird. Cause I would expect it to hear those. I said, yeah. And I, you know, I guess it's that, that had always been my, my reality. So I never questioned it. It just, nobody ever told me about it. Yeah. Oh, it's so amazing. Yeah. It's so amazing. What are, what, what, uh, the, 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 that like the lack of information becomes interesting within a certain context. Yeah. All of a sudden it does. And then the other one was my parents took pictures of everything. I have pictures of them when they were first meeting, dating, all this stuff. And so I asked my wife again, I was like, tell me one pregnant picture you've ever seen of my mom. She's like, never. I said, me neither. And I've seen all the photo albums. So either I've missed one or there's no pregnant pictures. Yeah. And we still. Yeah, that's you know, go ahead. weird. And I would have thought maybe like generationally, like being pregnant wasn't, you know, wasn't so, I don't know. And that that's actually what my wife said and what we wanted. We're like, you know, maybe she just doesn't like talking about it and maybe they didn't want pregnancy pictures. So, okay. So we're still okay. I'm still not convinced. I'm just still like, this is just weird. So I had asked my wife, I was like, did she ever, did the lady that contacted you ever tell you where she thinks I was born at? Because my birth certificate has a dash on it, but I'd be curious where she thinks. And she gave us, she said, I can't remember the name of it, but she gave us a very specific description of like this little 
clinic more than a hospital and where they lived compared to where it was. And when my wife told me, I kind of took an extra breath because I was like, I think I know where that is. I think I've been there. So it ended up being a place that my parents took me to visit every time we went to see my grandparents. And we visited this nice old doctor named Dr. Carmichael. I was a kid, never understood why we visited Dr. Carmichael, but you know, your parents go somewhere and like everything else in the story, I just went along. So no clue. Just, I was like, so if this is where she's talking about, that's creepy. Cause I've been there. I mean, I can picture the building, what it looks like on the inside still. Cause I went there so many times as a kid. <laughs> it's a real, yeah. uh, that's a real weird move, mom. It, it was. And I was like, that's so strange, but okay. So I, we're still talking. I was like, so what do I do now? Cause I mean, I've got all this weirdness, but nothing that's really good proof other than this lady saying, Hey, I think you're my sister's kid that got adopted. So my wife, who is much smarter than me said, Hey, we have a friend from church that's adopted. And she's known ever since she was also born in Texas, but she's known for as long as she can remember that she was adopted. She said, so reach out to her because she had gone through and found her birth parents and made contact with her. said, so reach out to her and just see what she knows, bounce all this off her and see what she thinks. I was like, okay, great. So, this was getting later now, so I waited till the next morning. I sent her a text, said, "Hey, can we talk?" Now it's St. Patrick's Day. Yes, now it's Saint, it's the morning of St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> and yes, it's it's now a wonderful day. So it's St. Patrick's Day. I'm messaging her, going, "Hey, I want to talk to you when you have a minute about adoption." She's like, "Oh yeah, sure, call me anytime." So I call her and I tell her all the stuff. You know, birth certificates look weird. No pregnancy pictures. No birth stories. It's all just very weird. And she said, well, have you got a picture of your birth certificate? I said, well, yeah, I've, I took a picture of it. She said, well, text it to me so I can look at it. Mm-hmm. So I text it to her and she goes, okay, let me go get mine. So she gets off the phone for a minute, comes back, and I get this kind of, <sighs> and I'm like, yeah. And she said, I don't think you're going to like this. And I was like, okay. So let me text you a picture of my birth certificate. Okay. And I'm like, okay. And they're carbon copies of each other. Oh, there's, wow. dashes where we were, there's dashes where we were born. Birth father's names aren't signed. They're typed in. They're both from Austin. I think she was born in Abilene. I was born in Dallas. And magically, both of our birth certificates have come from Austin. So I was like, well, huh. This, yeah, this, this is getting harder to ignore, and yet I'm still not sold. There still has to be a good explanation for all this. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's there's got to be something. So I talked to her. Of mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously there's a weird mistake here somewhere. This is just a copy of my birth certificate. That's what they looked like in 1970. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of good reasons I could make to make work out. So I talked, she talked me through kind of how she found out who her birth parents were. And she said, honestly, all that stuff was a complete fluke. So it was a nightmare to get the paperwork. I had to go before the court, tell them what they called compelling reasons why they should unseal my file and then got it. And the only reason she found her birth parents was she deciphered one signature on one page. Wow. Because they, I think they still gave her redacted copies, but they were signed copies and she made out a signature and traced it back. Wow. So that sounded like a lot of extra work. And I'm like, you know, since I still don't really believe this, it seems silly to go through that much work. So I was like, you know, I'll just talk to my dad. 
because my dad and I have always talked pretty openly. We've never, we've talked a lot away from my mom. My mom is the stereotypical worrier of everything. So when there's a serious talk to be had, it's usually just he and I talking about it somewhere. So I was like, well, I'll just, I'll hit up dad next time we can go have coffee, grab a beer, grab lunch, do something. I'll bounce all this off him then. Cause there's obviously no rush because this still isn't true. So, no, no need to get everybody in a, in a fuss over something that mm-hmm. isn't real. Right. So I called him and said, Hey, we, we talked for a little bit. I was like, so I got a couple things I want to bounce off of you. Next time you're near where I work, call me. We'll go grab coffee. You can come by the office. I'll meet you for lunch, do whatever. I said, no, no big deal. I tried to lay off all the problems. I was like, nobody's getting divorced. Nobody's broke. Nobody's sick. Mm-hmm. Kids are all good. The house didn't burn down. Everything is fine. Just some things to bounce off you sometimes. He's like, oh, okay, great. Sure. And this, this has never been a problem. We've done this hundreds of times. And this time it was, yeah, sure. That's great. Why? And I was like, it's not him. And I'm sure I sounded not good on the phone. Cause you know, we're in hour like 12 of figuring all this out. And I was like, it's nothing important. Just next time you have time, we'll talk. He's like, okay, great. But why? And I'm like, I don't think you're hearing me. Not on the phone. Next time we see each other, we'll have this conversation. Okay. Yeah. I'm still good with that. But what are we going to talk about? And and I would tell you this went on for like 20 minutes. It was probably like two, but it felt like 20 minutes of just going back and forth of, no, no, we don't want to talk about this on the phone. He's like, yeah, I know, but what are we going to talk about? Right. So I finally gave up and I was like, listen, I think I'm being clear and saying, I don't want to talk with you about this on the phone. Right. And he's like, yep. I said, and you seem determined to talk about it on the phone. He goes, yep. <laughs> I was like, okay. Well, you, you understand. I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah, I understand. Is mom with you? No, I'm in the car driving. I was like, okay. Said so. And the funny thing is they knew all about the ancestry test. This, the ancestry test is not like a surprise. This had been years ago. We had actually, I think shortly after Christmas, when our results came back, we had pulled it up and cast it to the TV and looked at everybody's maps. And everybody's like, oh, that's neat. And that was that. Nobody ever said a word. So I said, you remember when Pam and I did that ancestry test? He's like, yeah, I do remember that. I said, okay. So this lady contacted us on there that I'm related, that we're related to. And he's like, oh, really? I said, yeah. And we thought it was mom's sister or something like that. He's like, that's fascinating. I didn't know they could do stuff like that. I was like, yeah, me neither. Said, but it's not that. And he goes, okay. And I said, what she says is that I'm her sister's son and the child adopted me and never told me. And he went, huh. (laughs) That was it. That was all I got. Uh-huh. Yeah, just just a loud huh and a little bit of drumming on the dashboard that I could hear. So we 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 sat there very quietly for probably a minute or so, and I just waited, seeing what would happen next. And finally, I was like, "Okay, I'm not trying to be an ass. I'm not trying to make the world harder for you, but you're actually going to have to say out loud what I already know the answer is because until you tell me, I still am going to wonder." And he's kind of. I got another. So we adopted you and we've been trying to figure out how to tell you. Oh, yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's been 48 years. So obviously there was never a good time in 48 years. It didn't come up. So, okay. Now I guess is the time. So he said, well, yeah, we adopted you. Nothing changed. You know, my favorite line ever. Nothing has changed. 
and I should probably go home and talk to your mom. I said, yeah, you should probably go talk to mom because the gig's up. It's it's all oh, out there. Now. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's like, so when should we talk about this? And I was like, well, I'm working tonight. I some, somehow I managed to work my shift through all this. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm working tonight, and I'm going to take Sunday to regroup, and how about Monday? He said, okay. So we hung up, and that's how I found out that, yes, this lady was right. I was adopted, and I was her sister's kid. Wow. Can you remember how you felt at that moment? Like the world had opened up underneath me. Like everything just spun, basically. It was, it's hard. I mean, you, you've been through it. It's almost hard to explain just how everything shifts and all of a sudden nothing seems quite right anymore. Yeah. I mean, super sad because my parents are my parents, but they're not really my parents. Mm-hmm. There's been a huge secret kept from me for almost 50 years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff suddenly that I don't know about myself and there, there's a total, and I, I still talk about this in therapy, there's a total loss of identity that happens. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, I mean, it's bad enough is the NPE part, but when both your parents are not your parents anymore, suddenly you don't have any, I had no biological roots left. Right. It had already been, it had been weird enough. It had been about two years before that when my dad had told me that they thought that my mom was adopted and my both my grandparents had passed by then. And that had even weirded me out just with the idea of the people I grew up thinking of my grandparents, they weren't really my grandparents. That's weird. Do you think your dad or, I mean, maybe, maybe I shouldn't uh, like feed you what I think, but like, or what I'm wondering, but what, uh, what do you think was going through his head when you said, well, this woman contacted me and says that she thinks I'm adopted. And he went, huh? What do you think he was thinking right then? In a word, probably shit. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it was just, I mean, they, they had successfully kept this a secret for 48 years. And I think, I mean, talking to him later, who would have thought in 1970 that you could spit in a plastic tube and put it in the mail and they could DNA match you to other people. Nobody saw that one coming. Nobody saw that coming. I mean, yeah. Oh man. I think about that all the time about like, what will it be when we are older that, will be some kind of fascinating yep. technology we didn't see coming. Yeah. So I, I think it was just pure shock that, I mean, something they had done a phenomenal job of covering up, just got the blanket ripped back from it. And all of a sudden it was all out in the open. Hmm. Yeah. I kind of wondered if he, if he was trying to, if he thought maybe if he acted casually about it, that you would, think it wasn't that big a deal if he didn't think it was that big a deal sort of or something like I just it's that I, I find that such a unique response that like huh, oh we were trying to tell you <laughs> um I don't know I just that so I'm just curious but go on go on well and I'll tell I think that that's his personality we don't make a big deal out of anything if if right. you're on fire you quietly go find water and put yourself out you don't make a big deal out of it. that's silly is your dad my dad yes probably <laughs> I, I've, I'll I'll send you a different piece that I wrote that talks a lot about him or no, that was that one. So you've read that article. I mean, mm-hmm. I've watched Dad nail his hand to a fence, break his right. leg and we don't make a big deal out of any of it. We just go, Oh, that kind of hurts. Go pull my hand off the fence. And, wow. okay. So that's, that's the normal reaction. And then I think the rest of it was just the cover up of we've been caught. I better say something. We're trying to figure out how to tell you because what else do you say? Oops. Right. 
So all right. I hung up with him and texted my wife and said, I can't talk right now because I've got to get my head back together. But I guess go ahead and text this lady and tell her she's right. Because my dad just told me I'm adopted. And she's like, what? I was like, I know. Can't talk on the phone right now. Just text her and tell her, tell her that if you, I was like, if you want to talk to her, you're welcome to talk to her. This is way too much for me already. So tell her I'm not going to be talking to her soon. Not because I'm mad, just because I've got enough to deal with without starting that yet. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening from there was my wife was a phenomenal kind of information filter. She would ask questions for me and this, this lady had been trying so hard and hinting about it for so long that, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot my wife had to ask. She just spilled it all out. Oh, wow. So this is where things get twisted and turned and you'll have to interrupt me and stop me and try to make it all make sense. So the person that contacted me, like I said, was my, my birth mom's sister. So her aunt, she was also the first or no, I think second wife of my biological dad. So aunt and bio dad were married. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Yep. You're right. Okay. Yep. This is where we get into like charts and whiteboards. So your bio mom slept with her brother-in-law. Yes. They were divorced by, by then, but yes. Like technically a brother-in-law at the time, but he, but technically it's even worse. So it was bio mom or aunt and bio dad were married and bio dad thought it would be okay to sleep with his 15 year old sister-in-law oh was how old was she, was 15? she was she was 15 when all of this started. So that started at 15 and then not because of that, because basically, I mean, in his own words, as well as everybody I've talked to has known him, he's just a man whore. He'll sleep with anybody. So, he and aunt got divorced. He was here in Texas. My aunt ended up here in Texas. And when bio mom graduated from high school at 17, she moved down here to Texas to live with her sister and not have to live with her parents. And the relationship started back up. And that's when I came into the picture. Uh-huh. By then he was divorced from my aunt, married to another lady and had a four month old kid, I think at the time. That's what we call a class act. Yes. Well, it gets worse. It it, it gets more complicated still. So that was how they all kind of intermingled was through that way. Um, He, so. Did his sister, I mean, I'm sorry, did your aunt who contacted you, the woman who contacted mm -hmm. you, did she know that her younger sister was doing this with her ex-husband? Okay. She suspected it. She never knew it. And my bio mom would never cop to who the parent, who the father was. Just that she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So okay. she had no real way of knowing. She had a suspicion because he was around all the time. But Right. He was still around. Yeah. Yeah, no proof. Mm-hmm. So he was also a member of the Banditos motorcycle gang. So by the 
by the time I was two years old, he was in prison for murder and he's been in prison ever since. Oh, okay. He was in prison in 1972. All right. Actually, he went, I think, in 71 and for something else and then ended up in Louisiana in 72 in prison. Wow. All right. It's kind of a different, a different kind of intense layer. Yeah, that, that, that adds a whole new kind of mess to it. So he's for a man that grew up to be law, uh, an officer for, huh? for, for you. I mean, that's just interesting that you, you, you went the opposite direction of the bandito. As did his, his other son. Really? We're both okay. cops. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> so, so he's in prison. He's still alive. He's in his seventies now. Bio mom passed probably 19 years before I found out. Hmm. Um, I've got, so I've got half brother on bio dad's side of the family. Bio mom's side is a sister, half sister, half brother, and one, two, three aunts and several other uncles. Um, the, what's kind of really weird is half brother on dad's side half sister on mom's side and all three aunts up until about five years before I found out we all lived in a 30 mile radius of each other for our whole lives. Pretty much. Oh, wow. Did they know about you? Mm-mm. No. The only, only person that knew about me was the aunt that found me. Mm-hmm. So my, the rest of the family was in California back then. So my mom and aunt kept it quiet from everybody. Right. Right. So, Let's see. Where does that go from there? So that's pretty much, that's how I found out everything and how I found everybody. Wow. Uh, at that time with a woman, um, your, your, your aunt who mm-hmm. was helping you or who, you know, sort of like had all this information and <laughs> waiting to blow, um, is she help? Did she help you connect with everybody, or did you do that on your own with like ancestry and? She, without being asked, helped me connect with everybody. Oh, so she'd really been eager about this situation. She was very excited, and I mean, so I, I think I don't think it was as long as I expected. I think it was just a few days before I started talking to her, and by the time I had talked, I talked to her, I had found out bio dad story because she had told my wife and my wife was like, I don't know if you really want to know much about your bio dad. And I was like, well, now I have to know. Cause if you're telling me, I don't want to know, I can't help myself. anymore. So she filled me in on that. So I already knew he was in prison, but so when I start talking to aunt, she starts telling me, well, I've talked to who I think your dad is. Cause really at this point, we really didn't still know she, this was still who she believed my dad was. When you see pictures of the two of us, Side by side at the same age, it's not really hard to figure out if it's probably dad or not, but she had no proof. But she had taken it upon herself to get a hold of him, give him my date of birth, my full name, and all the information she could because she was determined to make sure that he knew that she knew that he had slept with her sister. Aha. Uh-huh. So there, there was there was some underlying motivation there out, outside of it, it's, it was really kind of a dual thing. I think she, she was determined to prove that that happened as much as she was determined to, she said that she was worried that if I ever did reach out that nobody would know. And she didn't want that to happen either. 
Mm-hmm. One of those funny synchronicity things by the time when she started talking to my wife, we had some friends that had adopted kids and we're doing a fundraiser to raise money for an adoption. So what she ended up seeing was a picture of me on Facebook with a shirt that says support adoption across the front. <laughs> so her assumption was that I knew already. She, she did not know that when she told me that was the first I had ever heard of it. So, so we talked and she kind of filled me in on family history, who everybody was. She'd already told everybody. I think, I, I don't think there was anybody she hadn't told that she had found me by then because there was also a little kind of family riff of her sisters really had a hard time believing her story that I was, I came from where I came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She probably felt so vindicated. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, there's solid vindication there of, I mean, you can't deny it at this point. Yeah. I told you probably real, real loud. So she and I talked for a bit on Facebook and then I started talking to I think it was BioDad. So I've learned all kinds of things about prison in a short year and a half, two years now. Oh, you, have connect, you have connected with him. Okay. okay. So you've learned all sorts of things about prison. Yep. So there's email in prison. Didn't know. Now I know. Um, so that was the way we started talking to each other was she said, you know, he said that if you would like to email him, you're welcome to. And I was like, well, I mean, it's, he, he's not the first murderer I'd ever met. So it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, it's a murder. He's like, I, I'll talk to him. I don't care. So I sent him an email and, you know, he, he was very not standoffish, but very reserved at first kind of, you know, yes, I'm totally, he would totally cop the idea that I could be his kid as much as could anybody else that had been around at that time too. And I was like, that that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. So he hadn't known about your existence all this time. No. So what sold, so we talked and he said, you know, timing wise, yeah, I was with your mom back then. Um, so it's totally possible, but I'm not convinced. He, he knew my mom was pregnant around that time. He didn't know, like I said, it wasn't for sure that I was him, that it was him. Mm-hmm. What kind of sold it for him was, I see if I can make that show on your screen. I sent him a picture of both of us. Oh Yeah. At about the same, I think that's both of us in our mid forties. Mm-hmm. So he saw that and was like, "Oh, okay." So what ended up happening just completely bizarre was now I felt the need to research because I mean, bio mom side was laid out for me. There wasn't a question. Genetically, when I finally got smart enough to click on the DNA matches on Ancestry, there she was listed as this is your aunt. We're for sure. It's your aunt. It's like 1700 centimorgans. I'm like, okay, fair enough. That's my aunt. But there was nothing really to match me to him other than I could take, you know, you split your matches. I could say, here's, here's where I match with my aunt who shares these matches with me. And that gave me maternal side. And then I knew these other matches were paternal side but I didn't have any strong, like I didn't have another aunt or anything popping up then. Mm -hmm. So now that I had learned that ancestry apparently matched me to people, 
I thought, well, I should go look at all these messages because apparently we had messages in the inbox we had never looked at. And one of them was from a lady who said, you show to be related. I'm managing my daughter-in-law's account. You show to be related to her. And we're trying to find her birth parents. And I was like, so I messaged her back. I think two years after she sent me the message and was like, so I just found out that there's messages in Ancestry and I'm just reaching back out to you to see what you learned and see if I can help because I just found out I was adopted. And she reached out and said, why don't you call me and it'd be easier if we talk. And I thought, okay, that's great. So bizarre, bizarre story. Her daughter-in-law had been raised by a man that she believed to be her bio dad with the belief that her mom had left them mm-hmm. only to find out later that the man that raised her had actually, I don't know, not, I, you can't say not in a weird way, but not in like a weird molestation, scary way, but had kidnapped her and raised her as his own kid to get her away from her bio parents. Right. So that's why she was searching was, she was looking for her bio parents and she's so, and she had found, I think she had figured it out by then. So when I'm on the phone, the mother-in-law that's talking to me is like, well, I have all the files. So if you can tell me who you match with that, you know, is paternal, I can probably work you through it. And I was like, okay. So kind of like you just did with the pen, I got out a piece of like construction paper and I was like, okay. I had to give up because I, yeah. I said, here's who I match with. And she's like, okay. And she had like legit paper files. I could hear the paper rustling in the background. She's like, well, hold on. Oh, okay. So if you match this person, this person is the child of these two people. These two people had one son. And she basically traced it back to him like that from, I think, a cousin or something that she said. So that it's probably a good chance it's him. I was like. Okay. So I reached back out to him and I said, so I'd sent you the picture. I talked to some lady and she says she believes we're related and here's how. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, you know, I did my best since it's email and not something I can draw on. It's like, here's kind of how everybody lined out. And his next email response was, Hey son. And that freaked me out. Say that again. That freaked me out. We didn't talk for probably three weeks, a month, because I was not ready for that yet. Even though I knew it was true, I wasn't ready to hear it like that. Mm-hmm. So that kind of paused us. In that same time frame, I had started talking to my, I just, I don't have any other brothers and sisters. I'm an only kid. So I just call them all my, all my brothers and sisters now. So started talking to my sister and we set up a time to meet and she and her fiance back then and me and my wife all met. And it was, it was so weird. It was like somebody that you've been friends with for 20 years and hadn't seen for five years. Mm-hmm. And you go up and just fall right back into the same conversation. Yeah. 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 Settle into rhythm right away. But we had never met each other before, mm-hmm. but it was completely comfortable. I didn't see any resemblance until my wife showed me pictures. Once uh-huh. she- once she took a picture of us standing side by side and hugging each other and she showed me, I was like, Oh, okay. That, yep. That's mm-hmm. yep. Now you know what that feels like. 
but not sitting across the table. Couldn't have in a million years been like, oh yeah, that looks like me. And I mean, when you see the picture, you're like, well, are you stupid? Do you not know what you look like? Because you, she looked like me. So she and I have gotten super close. Love her to death. We talk just about every day, usually on Facebook, just messaging back and forth. So that's the the nice thing about this story is all the reunions have really been pretty good. So hers is great. Um, the aunt that found me, we still talk. The aunt that found me is the only one that doesn't live here anymore. She's in Tennessee now. Her husband passed away and she moved to Tennessee, but everybody else is still here locally. So her, I see a lot less just because she's a long ways off, but I see sister fairly regularly. My other, the aunt that is the youngest of the sisters. I see and talk to her. I, See her fairly regularly, and we talk pretty much every few days on Facebook. Same thing, great lady, fun to talk to. She's early, early 60s, so she's not, she's barely a decade older than me. So she and I talk all the time. I talk to sister all the time. I have another aunt who's a little bit older and nothing bad, great connection, super sweet lady. We just don't talk as much. I don't know why we don't, we just don't. And then I have a brother on mom's side who he and I message back and forth. He actually lives in Houston now. So we're far enough apart. We don't see each other near as much, but we still just message back and forth. You all just stay connected. Yep. And I think it's, I have to go back and look to ever remember it right. But around that same time, well, and this I'll go back to talking to bio dad. So while, while we're talking to bio, while I'm emailing back and forth with bio dad, he tells me that he wants me to talk to his girlfriend. And I'm already thinking, you know, I've met enough people in, <laughs> you, in a couple months and I don't need to meet any new people. I'm, I'm people. Up. But he, I'm like, well, I, I'm trying to be nice. I'm like, Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where she lives. And he's like, and he emails back. He's like, well, no, you, you actually know my girlfriend. And I'm thinking, to hell I know anybody that you know. You've been in prison since 1972 in Louisiana. There's there's no way that I know anybody that you know. And he tells me her name and says, she works with you. And she has a very unique name. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know exactly who that is. So it turns out, it turns out that I work with my ex-stepmom, I guess you would call her. So she is brother's mom. So she was the one that he was married to when he made me. Okay. Okay. And she and I work in the same place. That's unreal. Had met her. I mean, I've met her. She, she works in HR. So, I mean, I've met her in our HR. Sure. Place and HR happens. And like I said, a unique enough name. As soon as he told me, I was like, okay. I that know her. is so oh. Did, did she, I mean, may, maybe this isn't related to the NPE thing so much as just the sort of like complicated nuances of, of everybody's families, but does she consider herself his girlfriend? I don't know. I think so. So they were married. They stay married. They stayed married for about his first five years in prison. Yeah. And then they both will tell you that when they got divorced, they still loved each other, but he realized he, he, we, we can get into his whole story, but he's doing a life sentence with no possibility of parole. 
And they both decided that there's no way he's getting out and there's no reason that she should live her life married to somebody that's never coming back to the free world. Right. So they're no so, longer really married, but they yeah. still acknowledge a connection. So, well, so they got divorced. She married somebody else. And I don't really know how that one ended, whether he passed away, they got divorced or what the story was. I know that she's not married anymore. And when I reached out to her and she was, it, it, it's still very weird to me. And it's, it's super sweet. To me, I'm just like a six foot three acknowledgement that your husband fooled around on you. Right. And he is so nice to me. <laughs> super, super nice. So when I emailed her, I'm emailing her at work after he's told me to contact her. And, you know, it's work. Everybody can read your work email. It says so every time you log in the computer. So mm-hmm. I'm being very circular. I'm like, so I talked to somebody that says they know you and says, and I'm saying all this and I hit send. And I mean, as soon as I hit send, my phone rings. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you finally contacted me. I'm going to start sending you pictures. Oh, no, she's even waiting. Yeah. She, so he and she, they had been talking. So, like I said, she's never called herself his girlfriend to me, mm-hmm. but she visits on the regular. They see each other every week on her telephone and video visits. Right. The communication was open before COVID. She visited all the time. And a boatload of pictures she sent me were the two of them hugging in prison visiting rooms. So it seems like there's still something there. Right. Right. Something, some kind of companionship. Yeah. Some kind kind of companionship and love. Um, What was it like? We talked just a little bit about. um, So, so what was it like for you? to be, to, God, uh, I don't know why it's a hard question to ask it. I'm just trying to word it correctly. What was it like to find out that your dad was a man who murdered, murdered somebody and was in jail for the rest of his life? Did that affect you in a? Honestly, no, not really. And I think that's mainly because that it's not that, unique of a thing for me. Like, I mean, it's unique that it's my bio dad, but so before I was a cop, I worked in a big County jail. I've spent a lot of time around people that have killed people, done all kinds of awful things. And they're just people. They've made made some horrible, horrible decisions, but not something that was shocking. So your bio dad could have been a, could have been, could have been a murderer, just like anybody else could be a murderer. Like it was as like, anything else that's interesting that's actually a very human way to think of it um hmm. yeah i i worked in a jail for about just shy of three years and all one of the big things i really ever learned was you would end up talking to some super smart people that just made really crappy choices i mean had they applied themselves in any other direction or had the ability to in a totally different world. So knowing that that's what he did and that's who he was, it really, it was kind of a non-issue for me. Mm-hmm. Now what I did, I'm trying to think of anything else to, well, so I, I also met my brother, his son, and obviously we hit it off. We've had the same jobs for about the same amount of time. He and I, like I said, I started work in a big County jail here. He and I missed each other there by about 
two years. I left there in 93 and he started there in 95. Or no, that's wrong. I left there in 95 and he started there in 97. That's amazing. So you could have. I mean, yeah, we just slid past each other. Wow. So he and I, it's weird. He and I like similar music, just very similar in a lot of ways. So he's, he's a great dude. He's fun to talk to. It's, I didn't grow up as an only child, always wishing that I'd had siblings. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, my wife's an only child too. And she's like, you know, I always wanted a brother or sister. I never really had that, but now that I have them, I wouldn't trade them for the world. Right. So it's totally cool to have them. I just didn't know what I was missing. Mm-hmm. It feels like, uh, it sounds like you're, you're, a, you're a man who, um, in a, you're, you're, there's that, it's actually like, it's kind of a Zen philosophy that you've had for your whole life. Everything you've described that like, what is, is like, you just seem to be in like a place of acceptance, um, like, I mean, you're just talking about visiting that doctor and being like, okay, like we visit this doctor in this town and there's no stories of birth. Like, okay, that's what it is. And, and I didn't, I don't have siblings. Okay. That's life. And then, um, which, which is, a, uh, I can see that, um, that trait being a great benefit to anybody, um, an adaptability or something. There is, it's, I think that trait's good, except it makes it really easy for you to accept what you see. And then you don't realize you're adopted for 48 years. So there's that part. Yeah. It's, it's, it's helpful. It, I mean, it, does, it hasn't changed the need for therapy and things like that, but it's, it's helpful to be able to not freak out that, you know, oh my gosh, my dad murdered somebody. Yeah, he did. Right, right, right. So. Um, and how can you just touch briefly on, uh, did you ever talk with your, your adopt, your adoptive parents? Like, are they, are they, are you, did that, how's that going with them? Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. We talked like, a, like I totally skipped over that part. The, you were going to talk on Monday. Yeah. The Monday after I found out, we sat down and had a one hour conversation where basically they told me, you know, they adopted me. And short of that, they know nothing. They don't know anything about my birth mother, my birth father. They know that they filled out some forms. It turns out the hospital we used to visit was the hospital I was born in. The doctor we used to visit, Dr. Carmichael, was the person that arranged the adoption and said, if y'all are ever here, I'd love to see him as he grows up. So that's why we would go there all the time. I think all the things parents feel like they have to say, nothing's changed. We're still your parents, Um, which is nice and accepting and at the same time, totally untrue because everything kind of changes all at once. Um, so, but it, I think probably the weirdest thing about talking with him about it was I felt like I spent about an hour trying to make them feel better for the secret they kept. Right. I think that's really, I think that's really common. Yeah. So I spent an hour like, it's okay. It's great. And inside I'm about to explode, but no, this is all good. This is all fine. It's all good. So the only thing that we really didn't agree on was when it came to telling my kids, I mean, they, they've, they're accomplished secret keepers. They've done pretty good at it. And they did not like the idea that I was going to tell, tell the kids. And I told them, you know, all I really know to tell you is your secret is not mine to bear. Mm-hmm. And they need to know because their dad's going to be talking about adoption, all kinds of weird stuff. And they don't need to think, wait, am I adopted? Right. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but they've got enough things going on as they're growing up to not know, to be wondering, why is dad whispering with mom about adoption? So 
what I didn't know when we had that conversation would that would that would be almost one of the last conversations we'd ever have about it. So oh. apparently we talked about it that once, and then we were going to put it back in a box and not talk about it anymore. Like, hey, we did it. <laughs> we did so, it. That wasn't so bad. It was only an hour. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I really didn't catch on to that until I think the first time that I was meeting my brother on dad's side, I was driving out to meet him for dinner and my dad just out of the blue called, said, Hey, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm meeting a friend for dinner. We're just going to go hang out and have a couple beers and have dinner. He's like, Oh, great. Who are you meeting? I was like, a buddy of mine that from work that you've never met. Well, but who? And I was like, it's my brother. And he goes, man, it has been hot today. And we just, that was the end of that conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah, too much. So that's the way it stayed. So I found out March of 2019. That's the way it stayed till probably late February of 2020. My dad got sick, ended up in the hospital. And my mom and I were splitting nights in the hospital with him. Mm-hmm. And one night in the middle of the night, he woke up and looked over and said, Brad, I'm dying. And I was like, you're dying now? Or I mean, just in general, you're not feeling good. He's like, no, I think I'm dying right now. And I was like, okay, what do we do? He's like, let's just talk. Okay, what are we going to talk about? So have you met any of your family? And he got very curious. So we spent probably hour and a half, hour, hour and a half, two hours talking about meeting everybody. I showed him pictures on my phone, everybody. And we kind of sewed up all that in one little hour or two chat. And he said, I always wanted to know, but your mom always got upset about it. So I never wanted to ask. And I was like, okay. And probably a week after that, he passed away. Wow. So did get some closure there. Mom, what I didn't, like I said, my parents are accomplished secret keepers. Mm -hmm. I knew that my mom's memory was slipping. I didn't know how bad her Alzheimer's was till my dad died. So there's, yeah. So there's really no closure there because there's really not much she can tell me anymore. She's gotten very curious about my siblings, but for a lot of more complicated, like four more hours of talking reasons, I've just kind of kept those two separate. So that's probably not going to be something that we ever get together and see each other or everybody meet at the same time. But I had what I've, what I got kind of bound and determined to do and what it made them do really was stop asking was I told my wife, I was like, I feel guilty enough. Like, I feel like I'm sneaking around. I don't feel like I should should need to sneak around. Mm -hmm. So I'm never going to lie. If you ask me where I'm going and like my parents call and say, where are you going? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to see my sister. If you don't want to talk about it, that's great. Stop asking me where I'm going. So that's kind of how I tackled that. The only one that I kept totally secret was, I think it was right at a month before my dad passed away. So it had been like middle of February of last year. We actually went, it was before COVID hit and everything shut down. We went and I got to actually visit my dad in prison. So we got to actually sit down face to face and meet each other that. So it was, it was really neat. So like I said, sister and I and brother and I that are both here close have hit it off phenomenally. Well, my aunt and I have hit it off really well. I really went in, I tried to go in 
to meet and bio dad with really low expectations. Cause I mean, if you read enough of the stories, things just aren't good. We'd emailed back and forth a bunch. So it wasn't like we didn't, we hadn't really talked yet, but I really just tried to go in with kind of the expectation of I've been around criminals my whole life Mm -hmm. and I don't need a person in my life. That's Mr. You know, this isn't my fault. These aren't my pants that you found all these drugs in none of this. The world is against me and I've been treated unfairly. And that's how I've ended up here. So I went in, uh, honestly, I think I went in expecting, well, and I'll, I'll, I'll back up in a second, but I went in expecting to really not get much out of it other than, Here's a person that's part of the reason I'm on earth and we're done with that. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually, I, yeah, I kind of just thought about kind of just closing, closing the ring, just getting it all the way done. And that way I've closed that circle up. That's actually what started me in therapy. I, when I found this out, I went through about the first six months saying, I'm great. Everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. Lester Holt. And he's a phenomenal reporter. I always call him that damn Lester Holt because Lester Holt did a, Dateline special called Life on the Inside, where he spent three nights in Angola prison. Oh. And Angola is where my dad is. Oh my gosh. For whatever reason, when I watched that, it wholly and completely derailed me from feeling fine. So I started therapy trying to figure out was I going to go meet Bio Dad? Did, did I want to huh. bring all that into my life? The short version of the conclusion was obviously, yeah, I decided to. So I went had very low expectations of him. Um, He had told me, he said, you know, it's a special visit so you can stay all day as long as it's not too busy. I'm like, whatever. Well, I I was literally there for eight hours. So it was, yeah, it was a lot. But so got there, got to prison, got searched, got run through metal detectors. If you've never seen Angola prison, it's like 15 thousand acres i think it's this huge old plantation so i got bust four miles into the prison somewhere where i got dropped off at a camp and you're like going there and that's where you visit so what was weird was half brother and sister until i saw pictures of a side, side by side i didn't really catch the resemblance he walked in the room and i was like oh so that's how i look when i'm 75 mm. okay mm-hmm. And when he sat down with me, what total, I'll say he totally took me by surprise. He sat down and I don't know, I'm sure part, I I think part of it was a test to kind of see, you know, do, am I just going to run away and not want to get to know him or anything? He sat down and spilled his life to me with no excuses for anything. Wow. I mean, he said, you know, I can tell you that, I killed somebody cause I was drinking and I was high and all this stuff cause I was drinking and high, but I killed somebody cause I chose to kill somebody. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And he just, he owned all of it. And that was not at all what I was expecting. So that kind of let me let my guard down. And I'm at the point now where I, I genuinely like the guy. I mean, he's done something horrible. He's probably, I would love to say that I think he'll get out of prison one day. He still holds out some hope that there'll be some sentencing revisioning. I don't know if he will or not, but I genuinely like the man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, so we've gone from, we would email every once in a while till now we video COVID shut down all prison visits. So I can't go see him. 
Um, we video visit every Friday and we talk on the phone every Monday. So this, I would say the, the worst part about having finding this out and having somebody in prison is I'm getting to know them in 10 minute spurts, short of emails. All the phone calls are 10 minutes, all the video visits are 10 minutes. So everything is so short. So we've, we've taken to emailing quite a bit just because there's no time. Wow. But I mean, overall it's, I mean, it's, it's been a lot. It's been very hard. I still have a lot of identity stuff to work through, but compared to so many other people's stories I've heard on your podcast, other people's podcasts and you read, everybody has been super welcoming. I mean, yeah. there, there's been nobody that turned their back, said, I don't want any part of this. Mm-hmm. Everybody's been nothing but nice to me. That's so lovely. It is. It's yeah, been like, and probably, I don't know. I mean, well, one day there will be data on all of this, I, I imagine, but probably more people than not are, are probably welcoming and nice, but it's the, it's the people that don't get a nice welcoming that come to the support groups. I don't know. It's like, there's there's like a skewed data situation, but, um, but it's, it's always lovely to have a reminder that, um, that there are nice people and probably most people are nice (laughs) and understanding about this or like, I, at least I can hope that, that, that it's most, um, wow. And I just keep saying, wow. Um, Tell me what, so, uh, uh, what do you think, what would you say has helped you the most through this process, get from where you were on day one to where you are now, wherever that is? I think it started with therapy, but therapy is what really started journaling, which is what led to writing because I figured out that I legitimately like to write. Mm -hmm. So, um... I would journal my therapist, like, you know, just journal your thoughts. So I would sit there and journal and journal and journal all my random thoughts. And there was something I I never, I still don't really understand it. I mean, I I understand it works like therapy, but just getting those feelings out of my own head, even if it's just on paper, even if I'm not talking about them to somebody, there's a huge cathartic release that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And then taking it a step further and putting them out in the ether and letting other people read them while super scary is even more cathartic than just writing them for myself. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's probably been the biggest one. I don't think I would have ever done it without therapy. And I, I still think therapy is a huge part of it for me because there's, it's, it's, I'm trying to think how to even explain it. Well, it's like my wife and I can talk about this all day long and she's, She's my super support star in all this, but you kind of like, you, you know, this cause you're a therapist, you need somebody that knows how to ask the right questions to kind of get down to the nitty gritty of what's going on. Like I've, I've learned it'll eventually be probably something else. I write for severance. My first therapist to just stop taking clients and now I have to find a new therapist set me up using a feelings wheel or a feelings chart is I suck at feelings. So she's like, well, how do you feel? I'm like, oh, I'm sad. And she's like, well, but explain sad better. I'm like, I'm sad. I said it. I'm sad. Mm-hmm. So she gave me this in the chart. She gave me this chart. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at all the other words there are for sad. So and 
And when you dig down into those words, it I've always thought it because I always I don't, I've always said words matter. And I didn't know how much till I got that wheel and was like, oh, if you find the right word for something, it totally releases it where sad doesn't. But if you find like a word like anguish or something, you're like, oh, that's that's the word for this. And it's just different. Somehow. And again and again, we come back to the power of language. Yep. So therapy's probably been my biggest help. Writing's what makes me feel the best through all of it, but I don't think I'd ever write much if I didn't go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you've become a part of this community through, did you come in through a support group or did you come into, did you come to severance as a writer? How did you sort of navigate into this, into this small world of us? So I started with one of the big, big support groups. Cause that was the only one I ever found when I first started. And then I think it, I've kind of gone in cycles. What ended up happening was my first therapist, we were talking, we were talking about journaling and that I like to write. And she was like, you need to find something to do with all this. And I was like, okay, well, what, what do I do? She's like, just, just look and see what could you do with all this? So I started Googling things and I stumbled at about the same time into Severance Magazine and then one of the smaller NPE groups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And well, actually what I stumbled into was the Right to Know page, I think. And that got me talking to people that were like, well, you should join this group. And about that same time, I just kindly blindly reached out to BK who edits everything for severance and said, I don't know if I'm a good writer. I'm journaling a bunch, but I just think that I would like to write if I send you something. Well, and I'd read her submission guidelines. I was like, if I send you the things I'd like to write about, could you tell me if there's one of them you'd like me to try? And she's sure. So I sent her a ton of ideas. And of course, if you ever talk to her much, she's like, well, I like all your ideas. So write about the one you want, like to want to write about. And I was like, mm-hmm. so I picked one and spit something out and she liked it. And we went back and forth a few times with her edits and that's how it started. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, you're really, a. I I feel like we are the, the NPE community is lucky to have you. That's what I'm well, thank you. It's, it's, uh, you're, you're, and it's also, um, and you actually just wrote about this, but there aren't as many men in this community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you are, um, it's great to have you as a man and then also, you know, and, and, and somebody that's writing and you're, you're not only a man, you're not only a man, but you're a vulnerable man. Um, and I just, I just think we're all, we're all benefiting from, um, your journey. And that is a really generous thing to share, um, to share with people. It's really having an effect, which is awesome. Um, what's weird is I do great with it here. I went to therapy on Friday and she said, well, how are you doing? I was like, I'm totally overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. When you present like you're fine, I was like, I know, because yeah. I do. I walk around all day like I'm fine, but I'm not. But here, when I write and stuff, I do find letting it all go, I guess. Right. But in the day-to-day world, she's like, well, you act like you're fine. I was like, that's part of my game. That's why I'm here seeing you, because I'm not good at it. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole other episode about that. Um, Brad, thank you so much for your time. Sure. I appreciate you talking to me. Yeah. 
This is so fun. Yeah, I just uh, I just wanted to, to get to hang out with you for an evening, and we did it. Cool. It really I so appreciate it. You got a good story. Good, complicated story. Scandal. Family scandal. Um, Lots of yes. Yeah, family scandal and, and small town. And it all makes sense because everybody generally stays, you know, in the area that they grow up in. But cool. Lots of ships passing in the night and scandal and 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 like redemption there's something about your dad that it's that's really interesting both your dad's redemption yeah um, in their own ways really beautiful thank you so much um you bet. yeah i'll be in touch you have a good night thanks for staying up late awesome thank you brad all right i'll talk to you later bye I didn't quite make it. I was trying to get all of this podcasting done this morning before the kids got up, before distance learning began and the toddler was running around upstairs because I'm not in a soundproof booth. Not yet anyway. Um, blew it. So if you can hear, if you can hear um, lots of different sounds going on, it's uh, welcome. Welcome to my life. Uh, I, I imagine it's not so different from your life at times where things just don't go as planned. Things are not soundproof. <laughs> There's children everywhere. Um, anyway, welcome back. Here is the thing that I love about Brad. He's a man and we need more men. He's a cop and it's a wonderful reminder that NPEs happen to everyone from all walks of life, even Texas police officers. Uh, he's a man, he's a police officer, and he wasn't afraid to look into therapy, and now he's discovering that he loves to write. So Brad all around is a great example of what can happen if you have an open mind about all sorts of things when your life throws you unexpected, you know, unexpected punches, when your life throws you lemonade, when things are surprising, um, whatever, you know, analogy you want to use, I think you get what I'm saying. Have an open mind. You never know. Thanks again to Brad for being on my show. Uh, thank you, listeners, for being there with us to learn all the ways that life can be turned upside down with a single vial of saliva. My friends hate the word saliva. How do you feel about it? <laughs> uh, do you have questions, concerns about saliva or other things NPE related? Do you have a story? Email me, eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com dot com um or find us on social media at everything's relative podcast and if you really want to be my friend or get inside info on extra episodes and live events come on over to patreon for as little as one dollar per month you can support me be in the club you'll get fun stuff i'll make it worth it i promise until next time folks keep on sharing your truth i'm eve sturgis and this is everything's relative podcast Bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie Delonzik, the logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band.
wanted to hear the story of the time that Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine's kid had a two-hour-long tantrum that drove generations of their family to weep. Or maybe the story of SNL's Bobby Moynihan's kid who found random pizza in a playground sandbox and ate it. If so, you should check out Why Mommy Drinks a weekly comedy podcast where I, Betsy Stover, talk to interesting people like Richard Jefferson from the NBA or Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend about a time that their kids broke them down into a shell of their former selves or maybe even drove them to drink. But in a fun way. If you have kids, this show will make you feel less alone. And if you don't have kids, you're going to be so glad you don't have kids. Listen on Campfire Media, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. My mommy drinks. Campfire.